Charles Simeon was an Anglican priest. He was appointed the vicar of Trinity Church, and he preached his first sermon on the 10th of November, 1782. But the parishioners did not want him. They wanted the curate, Mr. Hammond. Simeon was willing to step down when he found out about it, but the bishop told him that even if he did, Hammond wasn't getting the job. So Simeon stayed for 54 years, and gradually, very gradually, he overcame the opposition, but it took a long time. The first thing the congregation did to rebel against their new vicar was to refuse to let him preach on Sunday afternoons. They had the control of the church building, and they had a second Sunday service, which was called the afternoon lecture, and instead of letting the vicar preach, they they said that Mr. Hammond should do it. For five years, they refused to let Simeon preach in the afternoon, and then after Hammond moved on, instead of giving it to Charles Simeon, they asked another guy to come in, and he preached for a further seven years. So it took 12 years before Charles Simeon was actually able to preach to his church twice on a Sunday. The second thing the church did was to lock the pews. Now, you know, in the old Anglican church buildings, you have those wooden pews, and a lot of them used to have a little gate at the side, and a family would own their own pew. So what the uh, church members did was refuse to come and refuse to let other people sit in their seats. They locked their pews. So Simeon got seats. He paid for them himself and he set them up in the aisles, the little corners of the building, so that people could still come and listen, even though the pews were empty. And so they got the church wardens to come, take all of those chairs and throw them out into the churchyard. He tried to visit from house to house, but hardly a single door would open to him. And the situation went on for more than a decade. But he stuck at it. And with a steady, relentless ministry of teaching the Bible, praying, and community service, he gradually overcame the resistance. He described it like this. I used to sail in the Pacific. I am now learning to navigate the Red Sea that is full of shoals and rocks. But he endured patiently. And finally, after 54 years, when he passed away, Charles Simeon was mourned by the whole church. Now, why do I tell that story? Because he was a faithful pastor, a faithful minister. And this, faithful ministers, faithful elders, is where the Apostle Peter is going to land the plane of his letter, 1 Peter, that we've been studying for these last two or three months. After all that he's written, Peter is going to descend now on the topic of leadership. And he's written a huge amount about what it means to be a Christian. To follow Jesus is to have a new identity. Not just changing your religion, but actually to become a new sort of person. It's as if it's like being born again. It's like being given a new birth, a new identity, into a new family with a whole new set of opportunities and a whole new set of responsibilities. Peter says uh, you get dual citizenship by becoming a Christian. You're not just a citizen of the country that you live in. You're also a citizen of God's kingdom. It's new birth into a living hope, a future, a better tomorrow, when God's will will be done on earth perfectly, just as it is in heaven. And all of this comes about because of Jesus. Peter talks about him as our Lord. He says Jesus' death on the cross was planned before the beginning of time. And Jesus' blood is like a redemption price to rescue you from slavery, give you a whole new way of life. 
Jesus rose from the dead to start a new world order. And he will come back to set the world to rights. And in the meantime, Christian people are being built together, brick on brick, like stones, living stones into a temple, a glorious structure, like a great cathedral that brings glory to God. And being a Christian, therefore, has massive implications for every area of life. You've become an alien and a stranger in this world, and you're to live such a conspicuously good life that people will look at you. They may mock, they may accuse, train set, and they want to be the fat controller. Now that is utterly out of keeping with the nature of the Christian church. The key to shepherding, the key to shepherd leadership is to be an example. Wow, this is challenging. The Apostle Paul even says to younger people, imitate me. See, elders are not to be an example in every department of life. Speech, lifestyle, love, faith, purity. So let me ask our elders here, or future elders, are you leading an exemplary Christian life? Not just one that kind of passes muster, but a life that others could copy. Are you a model? Listen to this, 2 Thessalonians 3. You yourselves know how you ought, you ought to imitate us, Paul says, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. It says you imitate us. Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is the manner of church leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. It is a high bar. This is how we are supposed to lead. Willingly, eagerly, humbly, as an example. Not lording it over people. So let me ask again, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Members here, you've got to hold us to this. If you look at the way the leadership of Grace Church functions, are we being faithful and effective as this kind of shepherd? Now, serving as a pastor, a shepherd, is tough work. Peter Drucker, who was hailed by Business Week as the man who invented management, said the four toughest jobs in America were this. The president... I suppose that stands to reason. The President of the United States. Secondly, the President of a university. Thirdly, the Chief Executive of a hospital. Fourth, Pastor of a church. And I don't think Drucker is a Christian. One of the four toughest jobs. Now, are we surprised by that? Leading God's people has always been tough. This is what Moses said. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this... Kill me at once. <laughs> Numbers chapter 11. Yeah, it's too much. Just kill me now. Lay my bones down over there. I've had enough. Paul said that his job was one full of anxiety. He said we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And being a pastor is a death sentence. Can I get an Amen. 
Here's the great reformer John Calvin. Whoever is concerned in good earnest as to the church of God stirs up himself and bears a heavy burden which presses upon his shoulders. No one can have a heartfelt concern for the church without being harassed with many difficulties. For the government of the church is no pleasant occupation in which we may find ourselves agreeably and with delight of heart, but a hard and severe warfare. Satan, from time to time, giving us as much trouble as he can and leaving no stone unturned to annoy us. That's Calvin's view of being a pastor. Leading God's people is tough work. Leading people. So, we're not just thinking about the method, shepherding, the manner, eagerly, willingly, humbly, but finally we think about motive. What's going to motivate people to lead in the church? I think Peter refers to three motives here. The first one is the sufferings of Christ. Sufferings of Christ. Look with me again at verse 1. and I think he's really heaping it on here. Listen to this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. I'm one of you, he says. And I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter was with Jesus for three years. He pulled up his boat on the shore and he walked and he followed him. He knew not where. And he was with Jesus during all the rejection and all the hostility. And he was with Jesus during the times when Jesus was sleeping rough and suffering for the sake of his cause. He was with Jesus when Jesus was rejected. He was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and wept uh, and and it was as if sweat like drops of blood was pouring off him and Peter fell asleep and he woke up and he was rebuked, he felt terrible. He He saw the sufferings. Peter denied Christ. He said he was going to be really brave, but then he he sort of denied him. And and he saw Jesus being beaten up and his beard being pulled out and spat upon and mocked in the courtyard. He saw Jesus being led away to the cross. Peter saw the sufferings of Christ. He says, I'm appealing to you as one who's a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now think about those sufferings for a moment. What was Jesus doing in those sufferings? Why did he suffer? He suffered to get a people for himself, his church, who he's going to bring to be with him. So he's saying, you elders, remember the sufferings of Christ because that's why we're serving. To serve his church. The church that he died for, he bought it with his own blood, Acts 20 says. What a motive. That I, somebody like me, absolutely insignificant person, could serve the church of Jesus Christ. That he suffered for. Second motive is future. He says, uh, I will also share in the glory to be revealed. You see, Jesus isn't going to stay suffering. In the future, he'll be revealed as absolutely glorious and wonderful. And he'll come and set the world to rights and bring about his kingdom. And he'll be seen in his majesty and power and authority and his strength and might and honor. All honor will be given to him. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. And he says, you know, if we serve faithfully elders, we will share in that glory. We'll be there when it happens. We'll be part of it. Not just a spectator. We'll be part of the team that got us there. Sharing in his glory. And thirdly, I don't know what this even means. He says we get an unfading crown. Verse 4. When the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. What is that crown? 
something that's so honourable and enduring and wonderful that Peter just holds it out there and he says, there's something to aim for. There's a future here. Serve well. And you hear the voice of Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest. The elder who serves faithfully gets a crown of glory. Leadership is vital. The right kind of leadership in the church is essential. But maybe there's another reason why this subject was so close to Peter's heart. Why it was so important to him. Because there was a conversation that he once had that was burned in his memory for the rest of his days. It was a conversation that he would never, ever forget. It was a conversation with Jesus. In John chapter 21, we get the record of that conversation, which I can only assume Peter told John about because no one else was there. If you want to turn with me to John 21, it's on page 1090. Page 1090, and here's, this is where we'll finish. Page 1090, John 21, verse 15. Where Peter, who had denied Jesus and was pretty shamefaced and embarrassed about it, and thought his, his relationship with Jesus was over, and certainly thought he had no future in leadership, Jesus reinstates him. John 21, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, as he said right at the beginning, follow me. You see, here's Peter, and tradition uh, records that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way up that Jesus was because he felt he was so unworthy. That this failed man, this flawed man, who let Jesus down and denied him publicly and swore he never met him, this flawed, failed man, Jesus says, do you love me? Now come and follow me again. It's full of grace. See, he's not a superhero, really strong guy with 18-inch biceps and a 20-inch neck. He's this flawed guy. He's not a superhero. But Jesus gave him a commission. He said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Be a shepherd, Peter. And I think Peter never forgot that conversation. And that's why when he comes down to it, near the end of his letter to these Christians living out in modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to them to stand firm in the grace of God. He says to the elders, you elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is among you. Be shepherds, willingly, eagerly, humbly, and do it, remembering the sufferings of Christ, sharing his glory for an unfading crown. He gives the same commission now to leaders, even in our little church. So I want to finish with a charge to our elders and future elders. And I want to finish with a challenge to some of our young men. What are your aspirations? You young guys here, some talented young guys, what are are your aspirations for your life? 
Are you hoping that you'll get a six-figure salary? Are you hoping that you will get uh, to the top of your profession or at least recognition in it? Are you hoping that you'll marry a great beauty and father five children, as I have done? <laughs> now, those are all reasonable aspirations. You know, earning a good wage, being successful, marrying a great beauty, father and five children. But let me tell you, there's one thing that's greater than any of those things, and it's being an elder, a shepherd in the church of Jesus Christ. So let me challenge you young guys. What are you, what are you shooting at? Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, he who wants to be an elder desires a noble task. A noble task. Don't get much of a salary or round of applause often, but it's a noble task to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we live in a culture where many people don't acknowledge the name of Jesus, and increasingly a culture where many, many thousands of people don't really even know his name. We live in a great city where 95% of the people, maybe more, don't know or love or trust Jesus, and they're under your judgment. We need good leaders. We need leaders who will be shepherds and who will do so in the right manner and will remember the sufferings of Jesus and the glory to come. We need good leaders. So Father, help those of us who have got this task to lead well and faithfully. And I pray too that there will be others here who will be raised up to be elders in the future for the glory of Jesus and the good of his church. Amen.